My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Pris about complex regional pain disorder. This is a mysterious condition in which a traumatic injury can lead to chronic pain that can sometimes be lifelong, and that is the case in what happened with Pris. After her injury, she would visit with 27 doctors within 18 months, and most of them brushed her off as being hysterical. But Pris is a fighter, and she was determined to find someone who would help her and find ways to learn to manage her disease. One of my favorite moments of this conversation was when Pris described her pain as a petulant child, which I love because I've used that phrase myself, this idea that, you know, your chronic pain is like a child that cannot be controlled, and your pain will flare up as if it were a child throwing a tantrum, and it's so hard to control or predict or to plan around. I also loved how Pris talked about searching for meaning through her journey with chronic pain and how it led her to reconnect with her Blackfeet and Lakota heritage and how much she has discovered a resonance with the belief structures of her ancestors. This was a really special conversation with a really wonderful energy. Pris is so fun to talk to and I really got the impression that she had not had the chance to speak about her chronic illness very often with with someone else who's been through you know, a chronic illness and chronic pain of my own. And it made for just an absolutely fantastic conversation. She's got a real fighting spirit, and it really shone through this discussion. I'm really excited to share it with you. We're going to get to it in just a couple minutes. We got a really touching new review on Apple Podcasts this week from Codence90210. I have to share this with you. Great for awareness and sufferers of chronic pain. Not only has this podcast left me feeling more informed, but it has also made me feel more comfortable with my own chronic pain diseases. Suffering a chronic pain disease, let alone a chronic pain disease that is not easily diagnosed, can make a person feel sad or lonely, as if no one else can understand what you are going through. I often feel that myself. Listening to the experiences and lives of many other sufferers of their own major pains brings things into perspective. For myself, I realized I am not alone in my pains, and I get to relate to the host and guests in this way. I also get to learn about people in their own slice of life, as well as learn about different diseases, which I believe would be impactful for people not suffering from chronic pain. Having an invisible disease often means that onlookers will think you are fine, faking, over-exaggerating, or they will have a miracle cure they read in Reader's Digest. The host, Jesse Mercury, also keeps the air feeling fresh and fun, even when the topics at hand can get dark. He has a personality that is well-suited to podcasting and broadcasting. He brings awareness to invisible and oftentimes unknown and undiscussed ailments. With so many different invisible diseases, I believe this kind of awareness is important. Codence, thank you so much. I'm actually blushing as I'm reading this. Um, this meant so much to me. I just Anytime I see an, any new reviews come in, it's so... Uh, important for the growth of the show and important for me personally just to get feedback like this. It's incredibly impactful. Uh, it fuels me. It keeps me going. It keeps me wanting to create this show for as long as I possibly can. So thank you so, so much for your support of the show. A couple days ago, I released the bonus episode for the month of August for our Patreon community, and it's a really special episode. I've already heard from three or four people who've listened to it who loved it, which was really touching, but the big news is that 
Andy and I uh, are moving into a home together. Andy has bought a home uh, and we are moving into it together. We're embarking on this new journey together and we're both extremely excited. Uh, we've talked a lot about how we live separately in two separate apartments on the same floor of an apartment building. And this has kind of been building to us wanting to move back in together with uh, you know, new knowledge about how we can cohabitate with my chronic illness and in a way that works for both of us. So we found a home that has perfect spaces for us both to inhabit and spaces for us to share, which is something we very much miss from when we used to share a townhome together. And on top of that, this home is fully accessible with a wheelchair lift. It's insane that we found it. Uh, it's an incredible story. We told the whole story on the bonus episode this month. Um, and I, it's just, it made for a really special episode. I'm thrilled. I'm overjoyed. I cannot wait to move into this house. There is some work that we need to do to it before we move in. So uh, we're just, you know, in the process of trying to find contractors and and all of that stuff and it's overwhelming but but very exciting so if you support the podcast on patreon make sure you check out that new bonus episode if you're interested in supporting this podcast and gaining access to monthly bonus episodes as well as special recognition and gifts like coasters and tote bags with the major pain logo that are made by my mom check out the patreon campaign for this podcast on patreon.com slash major pain podcast i will put a link in the description of this episode uh, directly to this month's bonus podcast for those of you who have access to listen and that link will also lead you to the patreon page where you can sign up to support the show Speaking of, special thanks to our top-tier Patreon producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Trish O'Brien, Ensign Q, and Hipster Leia. Your continued support is incredibly appreciated. You know, it, it, we, I talked about this on the bonus episode, but it's a complicated feeling to not have a job and not be able to uh, participate financially in something huge financially that is going on in my partnership, but the support that I'm getting through Patreon is going a huge way towards allowing me to, you know, to not just be a financial burden, but to give back a little bit. Uh, and it's, it's hugely, hugely helpful. So I, I do hope that I'll be able to go back to work at some point when we can finally get a handle on my chronic illness, which I will update you on in just a second here. Uh, but until that happens right now, the bulk of the income I am making is coming through Patreon for creating this show. And uh, it's right now I'm making about $170 a month from Patreon, which uh, is is really, really incredible. You know, I, I'm so honored by all of your support for doing something that is free and given freely. So, you know, supporting the show on Patreon is going above and beyond. And I totally understand that many of us are chronically ill and unable to support ourselves, let alone support a podcast. Uh, but for those of you who are supporting this show, it really, really means a lot. We have uh, options starting at just $2 per month if you'd like to support the show and get access to those bonus episodes going all the way up to our Patreon producers at $25 per month. Another great way to support the show is by signing up to participate in research studies and patient surveys through Rare Patient Voice. If you have a diagnosis of any kind, you can sign up through Rare Patient Voice and get paid to participate in surveys and research studies. If you sign up using our link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast, then you will also be supporting this show at the same time. And several of you have signed up. It's so appreciated. It's such a great way to support this show and support the chronic illness community. So you can find that link in the description of this podcast.
So today, the day I'm recording this intro, I had a tilt table test. It has finally happened. I had a tilt table test. So I have done the at-home version of the tilt table test that I first learned about from Michelle when we did a great episode on POTS back in season one, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I bought a uh, you know a heart monitor to do this test at home where you lie down for 10 minutes, check your heart rate, stand up and check the difference. And I did it on a day where my heart was just racing. And my heart rate was 100 something lying down and like 140, 150 standing up. And it's like, wow, Maybe I have POTS. So I told this to my doctor. I even had a video of it, uh, which I did share on TikTok, on the Major Pain Podcast TikTok. She got me set up for this tilt table test, and it took months to actually get in for it. And in those months, several things have changed for me. One of which is that I have completely gone off cannabis products because once I got my heart monitor, I started to notice a correlation between elevated heart rates and cannabis use. And, you know, I was using cannabis every day to deal with chronic pain. I've talked about that a lot over the course of this podcast. And it was something I was not prepared to give up unless my doctors could provide me with an alternative. And in the past few months, my new doctor has given me some alternatives. Uh, I'm on this new uh, course of supplements and prescription medications, uh, anti-inflammatory medications, heart rate medications, uh, a whole bunch of vitamins and supplements, and all of it has been really helping. All of it combined has been really helping. I'm not really sure which piece of it it is that is helping the most, but altogether, I've just been doing a lot better. So in order to prep for the tilt table test, I had to go off of several of these medications for three days, which I did over the past weekend, and I felt really rough. You know, it was really hard to be off of those medications for three days, but I made it through and I was really hoping that something would be revealed on this tilt table test. And it wasn't just a tilt table test, it was a full dysautonomia testing. So there's like four segments of this test, two of which involved, uh, you know, breathing in and breathing out slowly, one of them just normally, and then one of them into a device that kind of uh, put some pressure behind the breath. And then the tilt table test itself, where they, you know, stand you up and check the difference in your heart rate and blood pressure. And the final one was a sweat test where they introduced a chemical onto my skin to try to induce sweating and then measure the, you know, measure what happens. So I, you know, really interesting stuff. The whole process was fascinating. The technicians who did it were great. And it was overall a very, you know, good experience for me. I actually got the results back already today. And I was pretty shocked by them in that I don't have POTS. Uh, I, I showed no sign of POTS on the tilt table test. And um, I, I guess saying that I'm shocked is not really, you know, not really the right way to say it. Disappo I'm disappointed because I just, I've never had any diagnosis of any kind that we can just pin on test results and just say, hey, this test showed that you have this disease. I, I've just been undiagnosed for so long or had so many misdiagnoses. So I was actually really hoping to be diagnosed with POTS because I've learned so much about how to manage it and, uh, you know, talk to so many people who have it on the show. I'm like, if that's what part of my diagnosis is, let's go for it. You know, <laughs> just tell me I have something, please. Um, so... I, I showed no signs of elevated heart rate during my tilt table test today. So what I think has happened for me is that going off cannabis has resolved a lot of these uh, elevated heart rate issues for me, which is weird. You know, it's not something that's generally talked about, but I've done a little bit of research about it. And there's absolutely a correlation between cannabis and elevated heart rate. And it's weird to me that this is not talked about more 
And it's something that I want to share because that's been my experience. You know, I'm not a doctor. I don't have any medical knowledge. I try to make that as clear as I can in every episode. But this is something that I have learned that has affected me tremendously. And, you know, prep for the tilt table test, they actually said I had to be off cannabis products to do that. So, you know, they seem to be aware that that can affect your heart rate as well. Um, in general, my doctors and the naturopath I used to see have all told me that there are no side effects of using cannabis and sort of emboldened me in my use of it because it was the only thing that was helpful for my pain. Um, but I, I, it could be because I used it every day for like five years, five and a half years. It could be that I developed heart rate issues because of that, but it seems to be getting better and better the longer it is that I'm off of cannabis. And now we find out that I do not have dysautonomia POTS. I maybe had some sort of chemically induced POTS from cannabis, but that is not, you know, something that my body is doing on its own, according to the test today. And yes, I know sometimes you have a good day, sometimes you have a bad day with POTS. It's possible I still have it and it just didn't show up on this test. But my intuition is telling me, based off of my experience in the last couple months going off of cannabis, that that's what's going on for me. But the interesting thing is that there actually was something that showed up on this test that I don't understand. So this is uh, from my test results. It says, this autonomic study was notable for decreased sweat response at forearms. Unless a segmental neuropathy affecting the forearm is clinically suspected, this finding may reflect normal skin resistance variation. So I don't know what this means. Uh, I looked up segmental neuropathy and a lot of what I saw, I just absolutely did not understand. Uh, so this is something I have to talk to my doctor about. Um, but yeah, this could be a lead or this could be nothing, which is, you know, story of my life. <laughs> you know, same thing that happened with my uh, genetic testing recently. And that reminds me, I actually had the opportunity to speak with my genetics counselor after getting my genetic testing results. Um, there was a gene of unknown significance, uh, uh, like genetic variant of unknown significance on my test. And there are other mutations on that gene that can be related to heart rate issues. So I spoke to her about it, you know, something I had been concerned about since I did that heart rate monitor a while ago that showed a periodic arrhythmia. And she said that the type of heart rate issues that can occur on that gene are nothing like what I'm experiencing. So that really put my mind at rest about that. And she also said, you know, we've ruled out 5,000 known genetic diseases from doing this test, uh, which made me feel a little bit better about not getting you know, any positive results. Like, I really want positive results on anything, you know, just please tell me what I have uh, so I can learn to live with it because it's really confusing to not know. And, uh, but, you know, I was feeling a little depressed about those genetic results. I felt better after talking to Sam, uh, my genetics counselor. And then I was feeling depressed about the tilt table test, but feeling a little bit better about it already, just talking about it right here with you. You know, I... I am a little hopeful that what they found with the sweat test might yield some new information. I mean, I definitely have, uh, you know, neuropathy, so I, I don't really understand segmented neuropathy. I tried to read about it, but all the words were very large. Um, but, you know, if this is a new lead, we'll hopefully find out soon when I meet with my doctor in a couple weeks, and I'll keep you updated. I'll remind you before we jump into our conversation with Pris today that my guest and I are not medical professionals. Please do not take any action related to your own health based on what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our 
fantastic conversation with Pris about complex regional pain disorder. Pris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for being flexible with scheduling. We've had to reschedule a few times, but here we are. We're doing it. <laughs> yeah, sometimes sometimes life gives you a few additional obstacles. So I really appreciate you being flexible as well. Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to get into your story today. But before we do, let's get to know you a little bit. So, Pris, why don't you tell us about yourself? Okay. Uh, my name is Pris. I am predominantly a performer and professional wrestling manager, but I am also a charity roller skater. I have a background in the circus. I am a fourth generation circus performer. My uh, great uncle was uh, the Indiana, uh, Indiana's smallest giant. He was six <laughs> foot four and he wore a top hat. Um, my great grandfather was a revival tent preacher. Um, I have an uncle who ran away to the circus and cleaned up after the elephants. And then I worked with Ringling Brothers when I was uh, a tot. So um, uh, because of that, I have always had a huge interest in the entertainment industry. I have also been a costume designer for the film and theater industry. I have also been a contract worker for Disney. You can see some of my props and fabrications in parks around the world. Uh, I've I've done a I've done a lot, but at the same time, not enough. <laughs> I am currently on a stunt team, um, doing edged weapon play. I additionally uh, work in comedy, so uh, yeah, I I I try I I try to keep my mind and my body as busy as both will allow. Awesome. Um, and I met you through TikTok, where you share your platform with your partner. Yes, um, that is my partner of 13 years. Uh, their name is Oni. And they are a Japanese American professional wrestler. Hmm. And uh, we have been doing that together for about 12 years. Wow, awesome. Um, and for those who can't see you, because we're doing a podcast right now, <laughs> uh, I just have to say, Chris has fabulous uh, bright pink hair and this huge bow, black and white bow, and a uh, adorable Hello Kitty <laughs> outfit. So uh, you look fantastic. I wish our listeners could see you right now. Oh, thanks. I I like to call myself a visual assault. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a lot a lot of my look is in rebellion, quite frankly, um, because of my injury. There are a lot of things that I was told that I would never be able to do. So 
I very much to the best of my abilities, uh, live life to the fullest and, uh, while at the same time being a good person. Awesome. Well, that's a great transition. Speaking of your injury, uh, Pris, what is your major pain? Well, uh, <laughs> let me pull up the dump truck. No, um, <laughs> predominantly I have what used to be called RSD, but is currently called uh, C, you'll, you'll have to pardon my mild dyslexia here, CRSD, I, I believe. It's uh, complex regional, oh, pain disorder. See, that's where the dyslexia comes in. <laughs> <laughs> I recently, in the past uh, seven years, was also diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease and asthma. And those are uh, contributing factors to my um, complex regional pain disorder. The three major diseases that I have or ailments that I have um, kind of work in tandem. So uh, it, it's, it's something that I've had that I've had to learn to balance. It's something that I've had to learn what my triggers are. It's definitely a work in progress of management. Yeah. Yeah. We did an episode a while back with uh, someone who has complex regional pain syndrome or pain disorder. Um, she called it CRPS. Um, and in her case, there was uh, a car accident or actually repeated accidents that led to sort of... Um, long-term chronic pain situation is that's what is that what's going on with you as well yes i had uh an inciting incident um which i don't want to go into a lot of detail about because uh i also have uh ptsd and anxiety sure. panic related to that which i i also um am actively working on but long story short is uh, I was pinned in elevator doors. Oh. And so I had bilateral um, fracturing, breaking of everything from my mid forearm into my wrists and hands and fingers. Wow, that's horrifying. How, how old were you? Uh, it was my first job. It was like my first, like my first big world job. So um, I, I was, um, I was 20. Wow. So you're just, you know, striking out in the world and this horrific accident happens. Um, how yeah. long did the recovery take? It's ongoing. Yeah. Initially, there were a lot of, initially, it was just the injury itself that that everyone was trying to heal and then uh with complex regional pain disorder you realize that uh there are injuries that don't heal there are injuries that don't heal the way that an, a quote-unquote normal body would and so that that was really um, perplexing in the most nightmarish way. 
Yeah. When did you realize that things were not healing as, as quote unquote normal, that there was, you know, uh, a more complicated, uh, lasting impact from this injury? Well, I've always been a very physical person. I was involved in baseball when I was little. I grew up playing basketball. Um, I danced. So I, I always, I always was a very physical person and, you know, you do those things, you get little injuries. So I, I knew what a normal bone break healing felt like. I knew, I knew that kind of stuff. Um, when the, when the pain was not receding, when my recovery was at a plateau that was when i knew that something was really really wrong hmm. and how long after your injury did you start to make that realization it was probably three or four weeks mm -hmm. it was it was it was pretty close um it it was it was really it was really strange because i felt for the first time as though my brain and my body were not on speaking terms hmm. um it very much felt like um there was a disassociation between automatic responses and the physicality of that response i would try to you know i'm i'm a uh i'm a very tenacious person <laughs> and so i know that line of pushing yourself but at the same time allowing yourself to heal and so I, I would try to push myself. I mean, I had to do things like try to go back to work and uh, you know, try to get money together so that I could pay my rent that month. And, but constantly injuring myself further because I couldn't turn a stove on so that I could heat food to eat. And I couldn't hold a hairbrush to brush my own hair and i couldn't tie my own shoelaces and i couldn't get dressed at all and i, I will never forget the sinking feeling that i had in the pit of my stomach because i have these doctors that are telling me oh you should be healing or, oh, you should be doing this and, and kind of dismissing me as being uh, a female who is being hysterical about their own body, even though I am being extremely communicative with what is going on. Um, that, that is a, that is an isolation and a loneliness that I hope no one ever feels. Yeah, that's very 
unfortunately, almost everyone in the chronic illness community has experienced that. <laughs> um, well, and that's why we're talking today because yeah. this, I, I have, I have a, another aspect of my chronic pain, which is for a very long time, and I've been dealing with this for a very long time. I've been dealing with this for nearly as long as, as I did pre-injury. Mm. Um, and for years, I felt the incredible pressure to mask or to try to hide my disability as much as possible because I, in the entertainment industry and even in, you know, day job world, if you have the, the slightest imperfection or if you are not a hundred percent reliable, they will go on to the next person. Mm -hmm. And so I never, I, for a very long time, for, for most of the time of my injury, I felt an incredible pressure to not show a flaw. Yeah. I mean, when doctors are telling you, you know, there shouldn't be a flaw and not, not acknowledging it. And then the world around you is sort of dismisses, dismissive of people who um, are slowed down by anything. In the especially in the entertainment industry, um, it sounds like you know that pressure to mask not only comes externally over and over, but starts to become internal. Did you experience that? Very much so, and it's <laughs> your you know your your body will is the ultimate truth teller. Let me <laughs> let me just. And you know this. So um, part, part, uh, part of masking, part of trying to overcome your, your physical frailties or disabilities is that it can definitely pile up. And so while I was doing my darndest to be a quote unquote normal person or or be as normal as I could through seven and a half years of physical therapy through 27 different doctors, two of which wanted to put me into a uh, assisted living facility and and just essentially shut the door and lock lock the key. Mm. Um, or I'm sorry, you don't lock a key. That's silly. Um, <laughs> but uh, there, there are a lot of things that happen with with masking and trying to quote unquote be normal, where it builds up and builds up, and the anxiety builds up, and the panic builds up, and you're not able to utilize your body the way that you had previously and so you are looking for different ways of doing things 
but there's always the crest of the wave and the crest of the wave for me used to be anywhere from two days to I think the longest period of time I had was nine days of excruciating full body pain Wow! where I would just be in the fetal position rocking um and and so there's always been this uh push and pull of understanding that i am in a different body now but also knowing that from day to day my <laughs> my physicality changes my abilities change so it, it's it, to to be to be succinct about it i am in a constant state of management and healing so it sounds like your your complex regional pain is is not in the location of the injury or not not uh solely in the location of your injury it sounds like it's widespread can you talk us through that presentation and what it is that you're experiencing yes that's that's a that's something that i have discovered over the years um some people they will have an initial onset injury and uh like me i have uh because i'm a very active person still try to be i've broken my left ankle twice and when you have additional injuries that crop up post your inciting incident you can also get complex regional pain disorder to kind of gravitate towards that area. Mm. I have a shoulder injury from um, uh, years and years ago. And because of my complex regional pain disorder, I will have pain gravitate towards there. And um, sometimes the pain itself, because it is nerve pain, and because uh, the way that our nerves are structured are crazy, like the um, the amount of of papers that I have read about the structure of nerves and how nerves grow and and the difficulties in people who have vast medical experience have in trying to understand that. Um, so yes, it very, it very much presents throughout my entire body at times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I call my pain the petulant child. <laughs> I have said that exact same thing about my pain before. I've said the exact same thing. I have Are said that serious? I'm dead serious. I've told my partner. It's Can like my become best friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've told my partner. It's like my chronic pain is like a petulant child that like uh, it, there's no reasoning with it and it will throw a tantrum for no apparent reason and just start screaming at you uh, and there's no controlling it. You can't yep. bargain with it. You can't reason nope. with it. It's just gonna like 
just throw a tantrum for no apparent reason whenever it wants to. I, I've used that exact analogy before. That's so crazy. See, this is this is why I have waited to talk about my condition. <laughs> I was waiting for you, Jesse. I was waiting. <laughs> I was waiting for a kindred spirit that understood what I was talking about. That's so am- amazing. You. Absolutely. Well, tell me about your petulant child. <laughs> His name is Victor. Mm. <laughs> no, I uh, I was thinking about this the other day because uh, the other aspect of my petulant child is that I don't know when they're going to act up. Right. Like they, I I can I can give them everything. You know, I can I can do all my supplements. I have very much altered how I eat over the years. I have very much uh, sought all different types of physical exercises and therapies. And yet, sometimes you cannot assuage, (laughs) you cannot appease the petulant child. Um, Sometimes the petulant child comes along and puts a wet wool blanket over me. That's when they're really having a mood. (laughs) It's just the combination of the sword of Damocles always hanging over you. So even when you are having an okay or a decent day, it's always in the back of your mind of when is this, when is this going to stop? When is what I'm doing going to cause me pain? Hmm. Um, and so finding those moments of joy and allowing myself a little bit of disassociation from that uh, is helpful. Yeah, totally. I feel I very much feel the same way. Yeah. I can't believe that, Jesse. I my mind is just absolutely <laughs> blown. I know it's so interesting because we don't have the same condition. Uh but I, right. I'm always struck by that how well, you know, I, I know that I don't have CRPS, even though I don't know what my um I still don't know what my diagnosis is, but you're still searching. I'm still searching, but we're getting closer. Um, but yeah, but it's so it's so interesting how no matter what the chronic illness, I always find similarities and I always feel this kinship, you know, it's like anyone who goes through something like this. You know, I've spent a lot of time just like curled up on the couch in the fetal position in full body pain mm-hmm. that you just have to ride out because you don't, there's no asserting any sort of control over it. You know, there's there's uh-huh. ways to make it more manageable or ways to pass the time more pleasantly. Um, but there's no pill to take to turn it off. There's no switch to flip to turn it off. Um, and in your, in your situation, that's so, I'm so interested by, you know, by what you said about how you've lived like, ha- you know, almost have half of your life before and after. So you have a lot of experience in the before. And this is something I very much relate to also. It's like something happens and something in your body is fundamentally altered and you are in pain from then on out. 
and you're yeah. telling this to doctors and they don't believe you. You know, it's like, yeah. I'm the expert on my body. I've spent 20 years knowing how my body's supposed to work and it's not working that way anymore. And I would like help to make it work the way it used to again. And doctors, because they can't see it, they can't test for it. They just won't believe you. And this is, this is the thing that just drives me absolutely insane because, you know, chronic pain is invisible. It is invisible yeah. and doctors will never see it. You know, like there, there are situations where it's so extreme that it is more visible, but right. even in that situation, they are still like, that is a choice to believe that patient. And I feel like a lot of doctors choose not to believe patients that are masking or are appearing to be more functional or appear to not, or, or not showing up in the office screaming, you know, because right. we have to learn how to function and we have to learn how to mask it when you're in chronic pain. And yes, that level of pain might be lower than someone who just broke an arm and is screaming in pain, but it's a different type of pain and it still deserves treatment. And when you have to experience it constantly, <laughs> constantly yeah. for years, you know, you learn how to mask. So like that pain deserves treatment and it just makes me so upset how often it happens i how often i hear it from people how often it's happened to me and it you know like though you you deserve care for for your situation and it sounds like you've really had to fight for it and that's just so unfair it's i i think the the worst the worst thing that happened for me beyond the injury and beyond since it happened in a work situation, being treated like a fraud or a criminal, the worst, the worst part for me was when uh, my boyfriend at the time and I sat down in front of the computer and we Googled what is RSD because that, that was what they were yeah. calling it at the time. And what does that stand for? I, that is, uh, regional sympathetic disorder and it's just it was like a general okay. umbrella of you have pain in a part of your body that isn't healing properly mm -hmm. essentially and so in this google search came up with this you know landing page of so you've been diagnosed with with a pain disorder. And one of the first sentences that I read was most people who have been diagnosed with a pain disorder lose all of their friends, most of their families, and die within 10 years. Okay. Wow. Somebody, somebody got in a real dark mood and then wrote an article on Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you, when you're already in a really horrible place where your where your body has become its own prison, that was devastating. If I could find or get a hold of the person that wrote those world those words, I would give them more than a strong talking to. Mm -hmm. uh, I 
because because at that point I had already seen eight doctors of the 27 different doctors that I initially saw. None of them had given me anything good to to hear. I was in all kinds of different metal armatures and aids to try to elongate make my hands not be in perpetual fists um just try to get some kind of movement or healing initiated and to hear that all of the worst things that you don't let your brain entertain is someone's reality was devastating absolutely devastating uh i went through a four and a half year period of time where doctors were just throwing pills at me i had uh one doctor that wanted to do an experimental procedure on my spine and put in a morphine pump and when they sent me home with the information pack about it. It was all cancer patients and octogenarians. Mm. And when my boyfriend who was working as my patient advocate at the time would ask questions, okay, if we get this procedure, like what's, what's the outcome? What are your case studies? They didn't have any case studies beyond five years. So, an, another treatment that they tried for me was um, they tried to put me on uh, on Oxy, and I was terrified, so I never took it. I had one physician whose name I remember but will never say, who told me that uh, really the only thing that would help me would be heroin <laughs> and that they they knew some people that they could hook me up with that had good product and then uh to my absolute amazement he tried to teach me how to or not me he tried to teach my boyfriend at the time how to give me injections wow oh my god so i I, I spent a lot of time being around people that were not giving me any hope, were only giving me the worst case scenarios for any kind of quality of life. But at the same time, not, not doing anything beneficial for me in the slightest. Yeah. So for me, I think some two things occurred that were that were beneficial for my situation. Um, one, as I remarked before, I am a stubborn sort. <laughs> and sometimes there are negative aspects of being stubborn 
And sometimes there are some very positive aspects of being stubborn. And one of those positive aspects is that I was not about to let this be the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, I have a kind of funny story about a moment where I really started to think differently about what was going on in my body. I was on 12 different pharmaceutical medications. I was on medications for side effects that other medications that I was on. Mm-hmm. I was I was that. Yeah. And I was I was laying down on the sofa in a daze because when you have so much pain, you learn disassociation from your from your body. And so uh, my boyfriend was watching the Academy Awards and I saw the face of someone that I knew and they were some, at uh, a project that they were involved with was nominated for an Academy Award. And I remember the anger mm. <laughs> that I had because I had always been told that uh, that I had talent. I had always been looked at as, oh, you know, you you've you've got this creativity and you have this mindset. Nothing can stop you. And here I was. I was being stopped by my own body, and I remember being so just ferociously angry, like it was burning a hole in my stomach. And I thought, no, I am not going down like this. (laughs) (laughs) And and sometimes you have to balance allowing yourself the time to have those moments of healing from your pain, but then also – recognizing that sometimes you just got to move through it if you want to have a, a a decent quality of life a quality of life that is uh that is okay with who you are that that meshes with your aspirations yeah and what your body is capable of most certainly and and that that is the real struggle. I lived with a couple several years ago and it was before I had my current pain management regimen and they knew that I they knew that I had had an injury, they knew that it wasn't a healing injury and so they were very good about opening doors, helping me with zippers, you know, little, little things that, that they don't make aids for, they don't make accommodations for, really. They would help me with. And then sometimes they would find me in the kitchen and I would be doing the laundry or 
you know, scrubbing a table and, and it would perplex them. And we had this conversation of, we want to help you, but we don't know when you need help. Mm. And it very much comes down to, I'll let you know. Yeah. Even, even today with my partner, uh, I just came out of a mild pain spell because of the heat and because of the humidity. And so they have been having to facilitate a little more for me than normal. And then it's the struggle of my pride <laughs> versus not wanting to inconvenience them versus me wanting to prove to myself that I can do it and that I'm an independent woman. So it's, it's a constant, it's a constant challenge. Absolutely. Those, I go through those things all the time as well. You know, that, that uh, cyclical questioning of yourself, like, can I do this or do I need to ask for help? Um, that feeling of feeling a little bit diminished if people offer help when you don't need help. Having the conversations of like, well, I'll ask you when I need help, but then struggling to ask when you need help. <laughs> oh, or, or having like a decent day, but then uh, really wanting to use a can opener or not wanting to use it, but needing to use a can opener or, or any type of like just basic functional thing that your hands used to be able to do 15 mm. minutes ago <laughs> and now you're alone in the house it's like okay yeah. <laughs> this this is this is something this is something uh that you just you either laugh or cry about and i try to laugh more than cry about yeah absolutely after the Academy Awards, when you were lit this fire to, you know, <laughs> to not be taken down, what, what sort of coping mechanisms did you find that were helpful? Music, primarily. Music has always been a big part of my life. I was raised partially by my grandmother who was a child of the 30s so i grew up with a lot of music from the dawn of recorded music mm. all the way through into 90s and so so music is a way that i've always been able to calm myself and take me a little bit out of my body and my pain. Um, additionally, I would say that having pet companions is just if, if a person is able to have a pet or a couple of pet companions in their life, it's so invaluable. I, because my pain is also uh, sensory, there are a lot of times where touching 
my own skin or touching the skin of another person causes me a lot of pain. It, mm -hmm. it kind of feels like ice cubes that I can't get out of my hands. It's this weird, gnawing, burning, electrical sensation. But I don't get that when I am petting a cat, for example. And so having music and having a pet companion, it allowed me to balance between a little bit of disassociation and um, levity, but it also helped me stay connected to the living world as well. Um, that, that was something that was an unintentional discovery of mine. Uh, I used to be a huge reader. I used to paint, I used to draw, I used to do all of these things with my hands that, that uh, I, some of which I'm still relearning to do. And so when you really only have your feet or your elbows to kind of navigate through the world um, and humans get very, very dismissive of you, humans get very judgmental of you, you don't feel that from your pet companions. Mm -hmm. Your pet companions, they, they know in a nonverbal way that you are not going through a good time. And so to still be able to have that connection and that unconditional love was so, it, 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 it very much carried me through. It very much was my boy in a stormy sea. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a dog for 17 years who passed away about a year ago and he, he got me through I'm some sorry. real tough times. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of the furry, furry family. Um, and you mentioned, you know, how, how dismissive humans can be. And that reminded me that I wanted to ask about your, uh, your community and your support systems. You know, you saw that, oh, yeah. you saw that uh, website that said that you wouldn't have any of those after 10 years. Um, so, and, and this is something that, you know, is also very common in chronic illness is that people fall out of your life because they don't understand what's happening and don't want to be bothered to or are afraid to see someone experiencing pain all the time, uh, someone who they used to know differently, and some of those relationships fall away. So I'm curious about your community and family, uh, anything you're comfortable sharing. Uh, what's that been like for you? To, well, it, it didn't, although some of that did come to pass, and although it would have been nice to have not had the Band-Aid ripped off so, <laughs> so ruthlessly, uh, there, there was some truth in, in that. Um, I only have one or two friends from pre-injury. I used to have 
I used to have such a huge circle of friends. Uh, however, after I, after I was on the path to better course of treatment and to better pain management, I did feel confident enough to start fostering new relationships with people and putting myself in situations where I could have new friendships with a new group of people who were supportive and accepting and to the best of their abilities, understanding. I, when I was, when I was injured, um, I really thought that, that my life was over. Uh, every professional, every, uh, resource material that I could find was essentially subtextually telling me that my life was over. That being said, my life post-injury is so much more rich and vibrant and real and beautiful. Now, whether, whether that is because of my tenacity of not giving up, whether that is the kind of sloughing off of all of the trappings of pre-injury me who would have been too shy or too uh, too restrained to speak to certain people or to interact with certain people. So even though I was reconnecting with my heritage prior to my injury, I have also found a lot of solace in reconnecting with my Blackfeet and Lakota heritages. Mm. And so because of that, I am now studying different types of powwow dancing. I am now learning how to bead. I am now learning about my respective cultures and belief systems. And let me tell you, when, when you find your belief system that is from your people, it is such a font of solace. It, it very much grounds you as a person. I, I, it's, it's very strange, Jesse, because I would never wish my conditions on my worst enemy. I, I just wouldn't. Um, but that being said, whether it's because of my injuries, whether it's because of my absolute refusal at times to accept my injuries. 
I very much have made a life for myself full of reliable, responsible, wonderful friends and chosen family. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, I, I've said similar things before about how I, you know, if I could go back and choose to not have my chronic illness, I'm not sure I would choose to get rid of it, even though I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Because what it's taught me about lear- learning acceptance and patience and um, learning to be happy, because being happy is, is a skill. It's a practice, you know? No one is right, just... it's a byproduct. Yeah, ex- no one's just happy, you know? <laughs> right. Um, That's not how that works. No, it's not how that works. Like this idea that if your life is perfect, you'll be happy. If your life is perfect, perfect, you'll be bored. You know, you will be mm. dissatisfied unless you have fought for it. You know, if you, if you have suffered and fought to have what you have, uh, then, then you can appreciate it. It's like almost impossible to appreciate things that are good unless you've experienced things that are bad. So, see, and see, this is why when, um, when, for example, I want to buy a bottle of fiery hot Mountain Dew drink, because <laughs> um, I, I know it's not going to be good, but. <laughs> But it's going to be one of those experiences that makes you feel a little more alive. Yeah. And, you know, experiencing so much time where you feel like your life is over, having yeah. any moment where you feel alive, you, you feel it, you know, like you live it and you learn how to um, allow yourself to feel those moments. Um, but it is, it's all so complicated because there's also that voice in the back of my head, too, of, that you mentioned this earlier of like, how, how long can I do this before my body will um, abandon me? Or, you know, how much of this can I do before I'm going to reflare? So, you know, le- yeah. learning how to appreciate good moments and experience them and be in them is a skill. And I feel like chronic illness kind of forces you to sink or swim in a way where it's like that, that website, there is some truth in what that person was saying. That person, probably experienced that and that was their truth but um but that can happen no matter what like friends and family can fall away because of a million reasons you know it's not just because of chronic illness or chronic pain um yeah like those things can happen anyway but it it feel it can feel like that is why um and you know if you if you don't find a way to accept your body's changing ability and work with it and learn how to relearn how to appreciate what you can do yeah. it can continue to feel like your life is over for indefinitely you know it is a choice it is tenacity it is pushing through it is acceptance um and i do like i've said this before it's like i feel happier now even though i have all these challenges and now recently i've been doing a little bit better with my health and it's freaking me out you know <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, no, I a hundred percent hear what you're saying. It's for, for example, for, for me personally, I also, my humor, 
allows me to get through a lot of things prior to my injury because I am the youngest person in my family. I had had to go to a lot of funerals and family gatherings and such. And the way that both sides of my family very much deal with a lot of adversity is through humor. So I was, I also consider myself fortunate in having that coping mechanism already in place prior to my injury. Um, so for example, when I wake up in the morning, I do a check-in with my body. And it's, it's just something that I do in my head of, okay, what kind of day are we going to have today? Like, what's, how are we starting out? And this morning, and I have a couple of different, I have, like, I have a playlist of songs in my head that will kind of uh, answer that question. And this morning's song was from Valley of the Dolls, if you're familiar with that movie at all. Mm -mm. It's not good, but it's entertaining. <laughs> And the song that the character Neely, who is, who is played by Patty Duke, sings is Gotta Get Off, Gotta Get Up, Gotta Get Off This Ride. And it's this very, like, uh, trudging, kind of, I'm not feeling good, but I'm gonna make this happen kind of song. So, uh, and that makes me laugh to think, okay, I can do this. This isn't fun, but I can do this. So um, that's, the, I, think, I think that's another part of this equation of management is allowing yourself to be very direct and honest without the cruelty that is sometimes associated with those terms. Yeah, I love that. So to be, be direct and honest, but to be kind and understanding to yourself. Yeah. You mentioned at the very beginning that uh, your asthma and Hashimoto's also interact with your... Um, with your complex uh, regional pain. I'm curious about that interaction. Well, Hashimoto's, it, it affects um, your thyroid. So um, my thyroid can make me have um, additional sensitivity. It can, um, make me have pain flares because in its mechanics, it is dealing with inflammation. It's dealing with white blood cell production. And so because I have nerve pain, the Hashimoto's can increase my nerve pain, essentially. Mm. Um, and as far as my asthma goes, because I have anxiety and panic because of my PTSD that was from my initial accident, 
um, not being able to get the right amount of oxygen, not, um, not being able to get the red blood going through my body can also work in tandem with that. So they're, they're kind of like, they're not quite the three sisters from the Scottish play, but it, it's, it's, it's kind of like that. They kind of each take their own turn and sometimes they're bickering with each other. There's a lot of personification that I do with my pain. <laughs> I think that helps me reason with it at times, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I had this interesting realization recently. Um, you know, before my dog passed away, you know, he was old. He was very old. He was 17. And oh. as he got older, I had to be more careful with him because he was experiencing pain. And, um, you know, I was giving him uh, like CBD drops and I could see that it would relax oh, yeah. his pain. And it was so interesting because it was like this living creature that I loved that I couldn't speak to. But I learned his, uh, I, I learned how to read what he was experiencing and what he needed. Yeah. And then I had this, I, after he was gone, I had this really weird moment where I realized it's like, I could do that with my own body, you know? <laughs> it's like, it, we were talking earlier about the mind-body connection. And I'm also someone who felt very strongly that I had like a very strong mind-body connection. And then when something was wrong, my body was screaming it at me and then I was trying to get doctors to help and they wouldn't. So then it, you know, it, it and then I would, you know, some, what, go through periods of trying to deny what my body was telling me because I didn't want it to exist, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to not have to deal with those things. Like, well, screw it. I'm eating this gluten, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it's, oh, okay. So, so some of the things, some of the things that I have done over the years, because no one knows how to manage what I have, not effectively. Mm -hmm. And it's so individualized for the person who has that. Um, like mine presents in a different way than someone else's, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so I, I am gluten intolerant. I'm not celiac or anything like that. Um, and it being predominantly gluten-free really does help with my pain mm -hmm. quite a bit. Um, having lower sugar helps with my pain quite a bit. That being said, gluten-free baked goods make me so sad. And <laughs> certain sugar-free things just make me want to, uh, like, pound the wall sometimes. So, um, there, just like with everything else, there are times where you have to kind of weigh your options. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
do I just not have this for a while? And do I have it as an occasional treat? And then know that I can have like a 20 minute uh, nap slash pain spell out of it. Sure. I, I have time in my schedule for that today. Let's do it. Let's have that chocolate croissant. Yeah. <laughs> but you were also talking about CBD. Um, I also had, um, I had two elderly kitties that really, if they hadn't been with me through my accident, I don't know that I would be as well adjusted as I am. Mm. And towards both of their ends of life, we were doing CBD oil for them. And um, I have always been an incredibly clean living person. Uh, addiction runs on both sides of my family. So I've always been very uh, uh, aware that that could be something that I also uh, have. So when an incredible friend of mine came to me about five years ago with the idea of, hey, there are these tinctures and they are, some are just CBD, some are CBD and THC. Um, I've been hearing from my friends that it works well for a variety of types of pain, but specifically nerve pain, which they don't make a pharmaceutical pain reliever for. And, and he, he was so wonderful in very, in, in presenting it in a very educated and fearless way. Like he very much removed this mystique that I had in my head about uh, CBD and, and THC. Mm -hmm. And I have to credit him specifically with allowing me to have the higher quality of life that I currently have. Yeah, totally. And that that's something that I've heard a lot also. That's something that I've, I, I used uh, CBD THC products for years. I just went off recently because it's not mixing well with my new medications. Um, but I finally have a doctor who's willing to work with me to try to find things that'll help. So it's a, it's a great trade-off, you know. Um, but when I was kind of doing it myself and trying to figure it out myself, that was the number one thing that was helpful. Um, yeah, it's you know, I've been trying to get more in touch with what my body's telling me. And instead of getting mad at it, uh, you know, when it's like screaming, it's like, it's like a, when my dog would bark at me, you know, sometimes you get annoyed. But if you realize that that's like your dog trying to tell you that he needs something, if you right. can give him what he needs, he'll stop barking. So I've been trying to take that approach with my own body. And sometimes I find that even just telling my own body, it's like, I don't know what you need, but I hear you that you're in pain. <laughs> you know, like I feel a little bit of a difference sometimes. It's like sometimes just the self-acknowledgement and trying to talk to my own body like it is a loved pet almost instead of like being angry with it or ignoring it or denying what it's telling me. 
just like think about how I how much I love my dog and how like when he was in pain I listened but I don't do that to myself sometimes I get mad at myself or ignore myself or try to distract myself instead of acknowledging so I it's like I'm I hear you I hear you I know that that's happening I'm sorry that's happening what do you need what can we do to make you more comfortable you know I've been trying to apply that to myself and uh it's been helpful I think See that's that's so interesting that that you would do that. I know that one of the things that people have remarked upon who knew me pre-injury and who have known me post-injury have said that um they always knew that I was a a kind person but they they have seen so much empathy and compassion post injury um, from me towards other people and just really as those are the those are the glasses that I see life through now um, but then I don't always take the extra step of being kind to myself mm-hmm. in return. Yeah. And I part of me justifies that it, there's not time for that in my life. There's frequently not time for me to sit myself down and allow my pain to manifest or give myself that extra ability to um, experience what my body is going through in the moment because I'm in a time crunch or someone else is relying upon an action that I need to perform but I I really am going to strive to do that more in the future. So so thank you for thank you for that lesson, Jesse. I appreciate it. Oh man, absolutely. I mean, that's you know something I love about doing this podcast is like just by talking through what we are all doing, we can give each other ideas. You know, because. It is so hard to get help, and it is so hard to find doctors who will listen. But, you know, but we can talk about what we're doing that we like, and maybe it'll work for someone else. Who knows? Right. I think, too, uh, and I have, I have, ha- I've been asked to counsel a few people who have similar ailments and disabilities that I do. Um. And my number one thing is, if you're able, have someone in your life that is your patient advocate, because there are going to be times where you're not going to be able, especially initially, you're not going to be able to necessarily fight for yourself. Um, I, I think that's I think that's one of the number one parts of my puzzle that really helped me. And 
also know that in my situation and in and your situation we have to constantly have the energy to research more to see if there is something new that we can try if maybe there's a new treatment or a supplement that maybe will help us in conjunction with other things that we are already currently doing um and that that can be a struggle too just having that little bit of additional energy beyond you being able to maintain yourself through a day yeah yeah absolutely and you know for me it's been so like i i cycled through so many doctors and that that was the thing that just like really really exhausted me um but i i say it all the time i'm a very firm believer that there are good doctors out there who are willing to listen and willing to help willing to try new things and if you're with a doctor who isn't one of those people try someone else and keep trying until you find that person um leave your entire medical center behind if you have to and try a different one if you have to (laughs) seriously when when i tell people 27 doctors they think that they think that that took place over i don't know 20 years no 27 doctors was was within an 18 month period of time <laughs> wow. and yes they are medical professionals and yes we as the people who are seeking treatment from medical professionals most people automatically go in with the assumption that because they have taken a hippocratic oath that they are going to work in their patient's best interest. I am so fortunate to have had a mother who was a registered nurse and who was more than a little bit of a cynic about doctors going into this whole thing. Mm. So I, with my patient advocate, we, we would go to a doctor for example, a neurologist, do the whole spiel, leave. My patient advocate and I would be able to talk after and be like, that person does not know me. They, they don't know body mechanics and I don't want to see them ever again. And we would move on to the next person. And I really feel, and uh, I'm sure you've heard these stories, I really feel for people who were at a place in their recovery where they did not have a patient advocate or they were taking the advice of medical professionals that it it didn't it didn't work for their system it didn't work for their physicality and the the time and the money and the aggravation that they had to endure because our medical system is not set up predominantly to believe and to listen to patients. Mm. 
yeah. our modern medical industrial complex is pretty much they want you in they want you out they they want very simple interactions um because they're dealing with a lot of patients that they have to see through the day they can't take that extra five minutes they can't take that extra half an hour when you have a chart that is thicker than a Gutenberg Bible mm -hmm. to look through and make sure that your medications aren't going to contradict or that the course of care that they're giving you is going to be something that's beneficial to you down the road. That's endlessly frustrating. I still have a few doctors that I go to for my Hashimoto's disease and my asthma. And um, I, I walk in there <laughs> with my chin held high and with my teeth gritted a lot of times because I'm to, I'm to a point when I deal with medical professionals, we're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> I've been through a lot. We are not friends. This this is a relationship out of necessity. And so um, I've also learned that when you have that kind of, not quite combative, but let's say defensive uh, attitude towards your medical professional, especially, especially uh, being a woman, they take you a little more seriously. I'm sure that you have heard that there are a high percentage of women who deal with very dismissive health care across the board, regardless of what is going on with their body. Yeah. And, and so once again it is so 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 difficult being injured disabled um having a female presence uh not knowing what's going on with your body and having to depend on medical professionals for that and then having to have the ener the energy to be able to deal with it yeah it's it's a lot that being said it's not unsurmountable either. In our house, my partner, Oni, reminds me that sometimes you have to eat an elephant. And the way you eat an elephant is not all at once. <laughs> you eat it in parts. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. Um, it's gotten me through stuff. I am, I am, like I, like I said, Jesse, I am, I'm so fortunate to have such a wonderful support system now in my life. I really am. Yeah. Well, I have one more question for you. Um, thinking back to when you first experienced your accident, you saw that website that ripped the bandaid off. You know, that, that sounds like just such a horrible 
period in your life where you felt like your life was over. So what message would you give to someone else experiencing something similar who's at that point where things are at their most difficult? I would tell them to take as deep a breath as they are capable of taking and to center themselves as best they can and know that they are a strong, capable person and to know that they are the only authority when it comes to what their body is capable of. I love it. Yeah, no one else in the history of the universe will ever live inside of your body except for you. No, and that is a that is a terrifying <laughs> but also also strangely soothing and placid thing to think. Mm. Yeah, unless there's uh -huh. some sort of a body swap scenario, it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we did talk about Patty Duke earlier. <laughs> that's 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 a nice little callback. Um, it's 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 so it's so true. I I wish that I could give. I wish I could bequeath onto someone who is just now experiencing what what I have gone through give them the strength and the knowledge and the and the fortitude that that I have to assist them but I also think that that's that's very vain because no one knows what a what an individual is capable of until they're put into a ex just very difficult circumstances. And so even, even when I was at my lowest and, I, and when other people have been at their lowest, you, you will find that shiny object. You will find that piece of music. You will find that person or animal or bit of beauty in your life to focus on in that moment and know that life is a wonderful gift and for all we know this is all we have and to make the best of it no matter our circumstances yeah amazing Chris, you've done an amazing job today. What a great conversation. So many little tidbits of wisdom in there. And, you know, you are living proof that that tenacity can get you through. And no matter how insurmountable something seems, you can get better at living through it. You know, like living in pain, like living, like experiencing joy is a practice that you can get better at, you know, um, and you can find ways to have more of a life and to get back to the things that you love or find new things and new community and new passions. There's just endless possibilities and you never know what's around the corner. And as long as you keep pushing and keep trying, you can make progress and find joy and find love and partnership and companionship, community, heritage, um, so much that you All can that. experience yeah inside of chronic illness inside of chronic pain 
inside of disability and you are living proof of that. And it's been amazing to get to know you and to share your story today. So for anyone who wants to connect with you, um, please share anything you'd like, plug your social media, anything else you'd like to share with us. Okay. Um, you can find my partner and I on TikTok as the Kawaii Club. You can find me on Instagram as my name is Pris. That's P-R-I-S. You can find me on Facebook as Pris Champion of Equal Rights. You can find me on Twitter as Pris666. Awesome. And if you didn't catch any of those, you can just go to our link tree. Yeah, and I will tag it's you on uh, Instagram and TikTok uh, where we share the, the podcast as well. Wonderful. Jesse, I just wanted to leave with, with one more bit of advice, if it's all right. Absolutely. I had a dear friend of mine who was uh, had just gotten married and they were trying for children. And I asked her, are you ready for that? Like, how do you, how do you know when you're ready to bring a life into this world? And she told me, you're never a hundred percent, but you, you try to aim for the highest percentage of, of knowledge and capability on that day. And I very much took that advice as I am rarely going to be at a hundred percent, but I'm going to aim for the highest percentage that I am capable of on that day. That's fantastic advice. Um, and a great way to wrap up the podcast. Thank you again for an amazing conversation. And uh, it's been a joy to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, Jesse. I've really loved speaking with you as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, and Justin Minnick, and our $25 per month producers Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Pain podcast.